To avoid awkwardness, I'm not going to stand on the stool. But as we pull things together this evening, as we're reading this great story from Luke's chapters 1 and 2, it's important for us to consider just what it all means. And so I'd like to read briefly from 1 Timothy, read chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You've got to redo that. Even though it's Christmas Eve, you don't get a night off of these things. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do give thanks to you and we rejoice in your word that you have spoken to us. One last time, your word has become flesh and has dwelt among us and revealed yourself to us truly. And so we give thanks this evening as we hear that word and as we consider it and all that it means. We ask that you would speak this evening, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. It was October 14th, 2003, Game 6 of the National League Championship Series between the Chicago Cubs and the Florida Marlins. If the Cubs were victorious that evening, they would advance to the World Series, something they had not done for, since 1908. Many believed that the team itself was cursed and that they would never win the World Series again. It was the eighth inning. The Cubs were leading 3-0 to zero when the Marlins' second baseman, Luis Castillo, hit a pop fly down the left field line. It was veering towards the stands, and Moises Alou, the Cubs' left fielder, started tracking the ball. He reached the wall where he jumped up, and you could tell he was going to catch it. And just before the ball intersects with his glove, one of the fans sticks his hand out to catch the ball. He knocks it, and the ball fumbles into the stands, and Moises Alou looks in undisbelief, wondering why he didn't catch the ball. The fan who knocked it away, by the way, he was one amongst many who was reaching out for the ball. His name was Steve Bartman. Fan interference was not called, even though it was pretty apparent that it had happened. What happened next is almost preposterous because the Cubs went on to give up eight runs in that inning. They lost the game, and then the following night they lost again, and so they were out of going to the World Series. Things fell apart. The World Series eluded them. The curse was still alive. For his own safety, Bartman had to be escorted out of the game. He was actually put in a disguise. He then received death threats, and six police cars had to be stationed by the Bartman home. 
Former Illinois governor of some fame and ill repute, Rod Bogoyevich, offered to put Bartman in the witness, witness protection program. They thought it was going to be necessary. But then out of the kindness of his heart, Jeb Bush, the then governor of Florida, offered to relocate him to our fine state because he had done us such a favor. Bartman's life at this point becomes somewhat under scrutiny. He retreats from the public eye, and he never returns to a Chicago Cubs baseball game. He was offered book contracts. He was offered uh, opportunities to do Super Bowl commercials. He was offered endorsements, and he was offered opportunity to comment. He turned down all of these things. He wanted nothing to do with them. His seat... Aisle 4, row 8, seat 113 became infamous. People actually went on pilgrimages to Wrigley Field just to see the seat where everything had happened with Steve Bartman. And friends, as we gather together tonight, as we listen to this story, a story that no doubt many of us are familiar with, that we've heard, perhaps time and time again, in the middle of all the warmth and the tradition of Christmas Eve, it is crucial, it is vital for us to consider just what it's all about because we don't want to miss it. And here is the thing, that all of us, every one of us, in front of God, we are like Steve Bartman that we may try to escape it, we may try to elude it, we may try to avoid it, we may try to hide from it, but at our core, we are all like Steve Bartman. We've ruined it. See, we're all like the rest of those fans. They were all clamoring for that ball as well, and we've all become somewhat of a public spectacle. We've blown it, it's all a mess. And the way Paul describes our situation is found in verse 15 of 1 Timothy chapter 1. He uses one word. He uses the word sinner. And that is the Bible's way of speaking about someone who's blown it, someone who is cut off, someone who is ashamed, someone who wants to hide from view, someone who doesn't want to be seen. This is who we are. And in the midst of all the warmth and all the tradition and all the beauty of Christmas Eve, we must remember that there's a very bald and unpolished message as to why all this was necessary. And it's because of this word, sinner. But as we hear that word and as we receive that critique, it's important that we hear that critique inside of a larger affirmation. Listen again to what Paul says in verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul says that it's a trustworthy statement, a statement that deserves our full acceptance, that we should belong to that, that we should fully embrace it, that we should claim it with a whole heart. And so the most profound question that we can ask this evening is what does it look like to find that statement trustworthy, to believe that God is the Savior of sinners? What does that look like? And there's two things that the apostle traces for us here. The first is this, is that there is thanksgiving and praise. For those who accept it, for those who embrace it, 
there is thanksgiving and praise. Look where Paul begins in verse 12. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. This is where he begins. And then if you follow in verse 17, he says, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And these are the two bookends on, the, on, the, uh, on either end of this passage where Paul is explaining what the proper response of the gospel is. Is that which is trustworthy and that which is true? That the only response that we can give is one of thanksgiving and praise. That's the only thing that we can offer. And this is what is so important for us this evening, is that God sends Jesus Christ into the world, not so that we would somehow then respond to God to gain his favor, but rather Paul's conviction is that gratitude follows grace, that grace begets gratitude. That God speaks a first word of grace and mercy to us, and then we speak a second word of thanksgiving and praise to him. This is how the the gospel works. These are its fundamental dynamics. And so gratitude only takes place. It only occurs in us. When we have abandoned all other helps and all other hopes, when we've set those aside and we forfeited them, And the Apostle Paul found himself at that place in his own life where he was willing to give up all other helps and all other hopes. And he could stand before God and he could say, my only help and my only hope is because there is a Savior for sinners, Jesus. And friends, if we want to be a thankful people, this is where we have to end is that we do have to come to the place where there is no possibility for help. There is no possibility for hope. That we see and that in our sinfulness, that there's one answer. There's one grace that God gives. If we don't and we decide to hold on to our other helps and our other hopes, we sever ourselves from grace. And we also will forever sever ourselves from being thankful people. And so this Christmas, in the midst of all the pageantry and the gifts and the family and the food, the carbohydrates and the sugar and the carbohydrates and the sugar. Don't miss the very fundamental, simple truths that God would drive into our hearts and into our minds, that we are to give into this, to let God have his way, that he's the savior of sinners, and it comes about so that we would give thanks and we would also announce praise, that we respond in doxology to God. Now, the second piece to this as to what it looks like to give full acceptance to this message of the gospel, is that there is to be an ever-increasing humility. Notice again what Paul says in verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Many people find that line puzzling. The Apostle Paul, who gave us much of the New Testament, is saying here, writing to his apprentice, Timothy, that he's the foremost amongst sinners. And Paul was very acutely aware of his past failures, of the things he had done in ignorance to defy the church, to deny Jesus, that he had actually fought against God, he says. But then he's also aware of his present capacities. He's aware of his own failures and sins. He mentioned those at various places in the New Testament. And this is what surprises so many people 
about the grace of God when they actually encounter it and hear it. That Jesus comes for sinners. That he doesn't come for the self-righteous. He doesn't come for those who are put together. He doesn't come for those of a certain class. He doesn't come for those who can do everything right and seem to perform well. But rather, he comes for those who are humble and those who can stand before him with no resources and look to him and look to him alone. And it is this ever-increasing growth in humility that Paul commends to us by his own example. That when we encounter the gospel... We can be humbled in front of God and we can receive the critique of God because the Son of God himself was humbled for us. And so we can be humbled and we can confess our wrong and we can acknowledge what we're not and what we wish we could do better and all the faults and the failures and the stumbling that we do. We can see all that because there's one who stood in our place. And this is the great freedom of the gospel. And for those who embrace it, for those who find it to be a a trustworthy statement of something deserving of acceptance, this is the freedom that God ushers us into. Thanksgiving, praise, humility. This is what he has for us. And we can embrace this fully because God has given himself fully to us. This is what he has done in the incarnation, sending his son into the world to save sinners, to be for us and to be with us, that he might save us and he might deliver us. And friends, this is what we're desperately in need of. This is the greatest reminder that we need each year and each day and each week, hour by hour. Because you see, in November of 2016, After 108 years, the Chicago Cubs managed to win the World Series. The curse, it was broken. And then this past summer, the owner of the team, Tom Ricketts, made a special visit. And what Tom had in his possession was one extra World Series ring. Rings are normally reserved for managers and players, and of course the owners, But one extra ring was delivered that day in a very personal way. And that ring was taken to Steve Bartman. It was delivered to him, and there was just silence, and there was a response of gratitude very simply. He said, although I don't consider myself worthy of such an honor, I'm deeply moved and sincerely grateful. It was a gracious end to a long, bitter mess. And see, friends... In every single way, we are Steve Bartman. We are ruined. Yet we've been ruined and we've been reconciled. It's been made right. That is who you are in Christ Jesus. This is what God has done for you. This is who he is. So for us in Christ that he is willing to be against us, to go into his own verdict, to receive that in himself that he might then reconcile us to God. This is God for you. This is all that he is. And so let's give thanks this Christmas season. Let's be humble and let's be believing, trusting in our Savior who's our only help and our only hope. Let's pray. Father, we do celebrate all of your goodness, your kindness. 
that you have been for us in Christ Jesus and you've come to save sinners, that you've done the unlikely and the unthinkable, what many people don't consider true or good. But this is a trustworthy statement, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. May we find it trustworthy and good in our hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.